humans. We mean well, but we're imperfect creatures living in a beautifully imperfect world. Sometimes the little things get us, <laughs> and other times, the not so little. It's amazing we've made it this far. Maybe it's because when one of us messes up, someone else comes along to help out. At Liberty Mutual Insurance, we get that it's tough out there. And our job is to make it less tough. That's the thing about humans. When things are at their worst, we're at our best. See how at LibertyMutual.com. Liberty Mutual Insurance. Responsibility. What's your policy? Amen. <laughs> Thank you for obliging me and uh, enjoying that uh, commercial with me. I love uh, the pictures and some of the things that it says about humans and that we do make mistakes, we do mess up. So what does it mean to be human? That's kind of the big question of, I think, this passage, and I think it answers it for us. Is it about making funny mistakes? Is it about helping each other? Well, last week we started a brand new series called The Genesis of God's People, and it really introduced us to God, it taught us about God and who he is and our relationship with him. And this week, we're looking at Genesis, the end of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And the Bible, funny enough, introduces us to ourselves, to humans, to humankind and human people. So if you've ever asked that question, what does it mean to be human? I hope that today I'll help you understand. I hope that God's word will help you understand that today's message is really for you. So let me say a quick prayer for us, and then we'll get right into it. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and help us understand your word, God, because it's, it's your word, and you've given it to us, and so we need your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the Bible tells us many things about what it means to be human. And the end of the passage that Carrie read, uh, it really teaches us this in chapter 1. It teaches us that to be human is to be made in God's image. To be human is to be made in God's image. Now, that's kind of a confusing thing. What does it mean to be made in an image of something else? Oh, I think it kind of gets at this idea that God created us to be like him. So when, uh, when, a parent, uh, when parents have children, you can usually notice the similarity between the, children's, uh, the, the, the kids and their parents. Whether it's physical, uh, kind of the outward signs of their parents, or maybe it's some of their characteristics and how they think and, and do life. I think some of this gets into our relationship with God, that there are some similarities there. Now, it's interesting that the word image actually has the meaning of idol. So the scriptures is really saying that we are made in kind of the idol of God, that human beings, humankind, are idols. So what is an idol? An idol is a, a small figure, maybe it's a large figure, maybe it's a trophy, uh, and it, it looks kind of like the thing that it represents. 
And a quick side note, the reason God said not to create idols to the nation of Israel and the Ten Commandments is because God had already created the perfect idol, a representation of himself, and that is humankind, people. So what does it mean to be made in God's image, to be his idol, to represent him, to be in his likeness? Well, I believe there's a couple different ways, and we're going to get into them. The first one, the way that we are like God, that we're made in his image, is that God is a relational being, and so we are relational. Now, remember that at Mount Sinai, God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments. And one of the things he said is that, you know, there's only one God, I am the only God, worship me alone. So then, in verse 26, we see a very interesting statement made by God. God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So why would a God who says there's only one God kind of confuse us by saying make mankind in our image? Well, it's because of the Trinity. See, we don't believe at Cornerstone and Christianity, we don't believe in what, what you would call a strict monotheistic God. So monotheism is a fancy word to describe belief that there is only one God. Christianity is a monotheistic religion, faith, but it is not strictly that. So Islam is strictly that. We believe that there is, uh, that there is a community even in God. That there is one God and three persons. And it is meant to confuse us. It's meant to challenge our minds. That means God is one in essence, but then each person of the Trinity has his own mind and will, just like you and I have our own minds and wills. And the cool thing about the Trinity, about this this Godhead, is that there's a relationship there, that the Father, God the Father, has loved the Son And the Son has loved the Father, and they do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you think about how long they've loved each other, it challenges our minds, because they have loved each other forever. They have had a relationship and a community forever. We call it eternity past. Genesis 1-1, keep going. A million, billion years, God has always been present, existing in that relationship, that community. And so this means that God can experience love, community, friendship, uh, fellowship, and that's why you and I can experience things like love, community, friendship. It's because God didn't have to create those things. He's been experiencing them forever, and we're made in a similar way so that we can experience these things as well. So I actually think part of being human is not being a hermit. It is not kind of walling yourself away from everyone else. It is seeking community. So if you are new to Westford and you are looking for community, that is part of God's image inside of you. And you can certainly find that community here at Cornerstone. Now maybe some of you are introverts, some of you are extroverts. Introverts kind of are less a fan of a big crowd and lots of people. Extroverts love that sort of thing. Well, the Bible says, well, both are okay because as long as we're in relationship, it doesn't have to be a lot of people. It can be a few people. That's, that's a way that we reflect God. So God is relational, so we are relational. 
Now, the second one is similar, but a little different. God is diverse, so we are diverse. Now, I couldn't come up with a better way, but really, there's this, con- there's this concept of diversity within unity. Diversity within unity. And verse uh, 27 uh, begins to point to this and how we reflect this, that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So like I said, each person of the Trinity is unique, has their own mind and will. And one of the ways that we reflect this diversity in, in God is that there are a number of different races, ethnicities, peoples spread out all over the world, different continents, and we're all human. We're all equally valuable in God's eyes. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. We're all valuable. Now, if we were to go back and kind of rewind time and read some of the verses from last week, we would see that God created, creates the fish. He creates uh, the animals. He creates them according to their kind. So we see that phrase over and over again in Genesis chapter 1. They're according to their kind, according to their kind. Now notice, when we get to our passage, God creates humans, and we are not created according to our kinds. See, there is only one kind of person. It's a human being. We are not created according to our kinds. Instead, we're, creating, we're, we're created as male and female. So it's like a gendered creation instead of a, uh, a kinds creation. And this means a lot of things. In the ancient Near East, and I think still often today, uh, women and children were devalued. They were looked down upon. And races were often enslaved and sold into bondage. And it's really powerful because this, 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 this story is written in that context. And it's, it's telling its very first readers that, well, this is wrong. See, women and men, they, they're both made in God's image. They're both valuable. This means racism is wrong. This means sexism is wrong. This actually, I believe, means abortion is wrong. It doesn't matter your age. If you're made in God's image, you are intrinsically valuable. We all have value, no matter how old, young, where you're from. It's really cool. We all reflect God. So God is diverse, so we are diverse. What's another way? Verse 28 God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. The next way that we reflect God's image is that God is a ruler, so we are rulers. Now, last week we talked about, uh, you know, God created light, and then on the matching day, the fourth day, he, he fills that space with kind of a ruler. So he fills that space with the sun, the moon, the stars. Uh, the second day is, uh, you know, the, the heavens and the, the waters below. And God, on the fifth day, fills those with birds and fish. And then we got to the seventh day, and the seventh day is kind of like God presiding over it all. The seventh day is called a Sabbath day. God rests in it. And it's really him setting himself up as the king of kings who rules over every single space, every single creation. God is the ultimate king over everything. And the cool thing is that God 
says, you know what, I'm going to create people that are like me, that are made in my image, and I want them to be rulers as well. It's like I'm taking my big scepter and I'm breaking it up into little scepters, and I'm giving them to each single human being for them to rule over creation with me, to subdue it, to multiply, to increase in number. Now, to subdue is not necessarily a negative thing. It can mean to conquer, to dominate, but it's this idea of managing creation. Now, in Egypt, the, the author of the book of Genesis is a, a man named Moses. He was the leader of the Israelites, God's people in the Old Testament. He led them out of bondage in Egypt. Maybe you've heard of the great Exodus. You can watch the Prince of Egypt that tells you about it. Well, the, the pharaoh, at least one of the pharaohs, had a name that meant the living image of Ammon. So the living image of Ammon. In other words, he was supposed to be the, the living idol of his god. But it was only the pharaoh. It was only the most powerful, the wealthiest, the strongest. And what does the Bible tells us, tell us? It tells us that no, no matter your strength, no matter your riches, no matter your looks, no matter who you are, you reflect God's image. Wow, another way that we are valuable in who we are, in God's eyes. Doesn't matter how smart you are, God loves you and has created you like him. Now, how are we to rule over creation? God calls us to, to rule and to, to take care of creation, to take care of this world. And I do think that means like we need to be very thoughtful and, and take care of our environment. We're not just burning up our environment and, and kind of saying, oh, we don't care. We need to be thoughtful. This means that things like recycling can be good and they can be a way to honor God, that we, we want to be thoughtful about things like pollution and that things like farming and gardening. I love that we're going to get into a passage where God really calls Adam to be a gardener. Like that, that reflects who God is. God is a gardener here at the beginning. I mowed my lawn this week. It needed it. It had been two weeks, and I was kind of resonating with this, that here I am taking care of creation as I was pushing my mower. God is really good. Now, sometimes, uh, since the fall, at least, we are at war with creation. Uh, maybe you have had that experience where a spider comes into your house and your, your wife screams, Kill the spider, kill the spider. I've had that. So, so sometimes that's part of dominating or conquering creation. But God is calling us to be good stewards of what he has made. Now notice another way. This is just a quick side note. But in the beginning, it said God, God spoke. He spoke things into existence. So he speaks and the, the world comes into being. See, I think God, one of the ways he rules is with his words, with the things he says. Have you ever noticed that in your life, the things you say often have the most impact? This is another way that we reflect God. Now, we can't speak and things pop into existence. That's God's power. But we can speak and, and negative things happen or positive things happen. I'm, I'm currently uh, doing some premarital counseling, and we were reading through a book, and it mentioned love languages. Maybe you've heard of the, the five love languages, and there are ways that you can love each other and kind of speak that person's love language. And one of them is words of affirmation, that some people receive love just by having you know, words of affirmation spoken to them. This is a way 
when we speak kindness and love to others, that we reflect the image of our creator, that we reflect God, that we rule in our own lives. God is a ruler, so we are a ruler. The next one, we're looking a little bit at verse 2, actually, of chapter 1 and verse 26. You can flip back and forth if you want. You can just track with me. Is that God is spiritual, so we are spiritual. Now, if you, if you remember our foundation verse, the verse that we're all memorizing together as a congregation, and I encourage you to take it home from your bulletin and put it in your Bible and, and memorize it uh, this week and the coming weeks, uh, you'll see that in the beginning there was the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And last week we, word that, we, we learned that this word hovering is really like an eagle, that it, there's this kind of mother bird aspect to the word hovering, that God is not just this cloud mass that, that is unrelatable, but that God takes care of his creation, that there's this, uh, there's this intimacy about it, there's this relationship about it, that God really cares. And so we, we learned about the Holy Spirit being that being in, the, in last week. So God has a Holy Spirit. God is a Holy Spirit. And you and I, we also have spirits. We have, you could call it a spirit or a soul, but we have something that is intrinsic to our nature that is intangible. You can't pinch your spirit. You can't punch your soul. But we have those. We're created with them. And this, uh, one of the reasons that we do small groups, one of the reasons that we do uh, these, these small groups at Cornerstone is because we care about your soul. We care about your spirit. And I use those words interchangeably. Uh, see, so often we put a lot of time and effort into our physical appearance, and whether you're putting on makeup or you're hitting the gym to work out. But God also cares about the health of our souls. And our small groups are a great way to say, is my soul uh, healthy? How can I kind of dive into knowing God a little bit more and get my soul in shape. Now, just because we have spirits and God is a spirit, this does not mean that, that our bodies are bad. Uh, you know, we don't want to just end this life and kind of float away. That's not at all what Scripture says. In fact, if, if this were true, then God wouldn't have come and, and become a human. See, God became a human in Jesus Christ. Now, like I said, we memorize foundation verses, but I actually want us to say one of our old foundation verses together. We memorized this foundation verse during the Christmas season, our first Christmas season at Cornerstone. Uh, So you can just read it off the slide with me. Let's all say it together. Ready? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1, 23. Amen. This verse just tells us that God himself has come in the flesh. That blows our mind. God didn't just make idols. He, he entered into humanity. That something about God changed as, as Jesus took on flesh. It was an adding on. That is incredible. And it happens happened 2,000 years ago. And this tells us something very significant, that God cares about our bodies. God cares about who we are in this life. He cares about uh, if we are well, if we're sick. God has become a man through Christ Jesus. 
And this also means that you can have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes we, uh, we call Christianity a religion, and it certainly kind of fits those uh, outward appearances, but it's a relationship because we can know the one that we worship. We can know God himself. Jesus has lips. He has ears. He has eyes. And one day you'll see Jesus face to face. But you can take comfort now that in a kind of a strange way, when you pray, God hears you. Not that God would be limited if he didn't have ears through Jesus, but God hears you. He hears your prayers. If one day, if you trust in him, then one day you'll get to see him. And this leads me to my last way that we are made in God's image. God is holy, so we were made holy. Verse 31 says this, God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good, Now, when God created the other elements, the other parts of the world on the first six days, first five days, he said it was good. But when he says he made man, he says it was very good. What about people makes us very good? I think it has to do with our holiness, that we were created to reflect the very goodness in God. All of creation is good, but God is very good. And because we reflect him, we are very good. That means when we were made at the beginning, we were righteous. We were pure. There was no sin. There was no, there was no badness in the world. There was only goodness. There was God's goodness. And because of this goodness in us, we could have a relationship with God because God is pure. And only can we enter into his presence if we have that same level of purity. And we're going to learn next week, if you come back in Genesis chapter 3, that we're going to lose that. That there is this beautiful image of God, this beautiful painting, this beautiful mirror, and we human beings are going to break that mirror. We are going to crack that mirror. And when you look into that mirror, you can still see a dim reflection of God, but it is broken, and it is broken right here in our holiness. It's like my old iPhone. I, I cracked the screen. I could still use it for a while. It was still kind of limping along, but it was broken. It was cracked. It wasn't as good as it could have been. See, now the thing that we're going to need most is to restore the image of God. We're going to talk a little bit about that at the end of the message. See, we find our humanity when we find God. We find our humanity when we find God. Now, I want to show you a picture to kind of teach this this point about being made in the image of God. Uh, So just look at this picture. (laughs) This is of the movie star Tom Hanks and his son, Colin Hanks. Now, do you notice some similarities besides the two scarves that are matching and their kind of lack of smiles? They look a lot alike. God, in many ways, has made us like this. Now, only Jesus is the Son of God, at least at this point in the story. But these two people, they're they're made alike. You might even say that they are the spitting image of, of each other, that, that Colin is the spitting image of Tom Hanks. 
Well, that, that, the idea of that phrase, spitting image, that's like a weird thing to stop and think about. It originates in a 17th century play where a child was said to be so like his father that he had been spit out of his father's mouth. Genesis tells us in this, in this next passage that we already read that the human beings were not spit out of their father's mouth, out of God's mouth but that God breathed life into us. That there is something much more precious about us than just being spit. That we are breathed. See, this leads to our next point, and we're moving into Genesis chapter 2, that to be human is to be given life by God. To be human is to be given life by God. Now, we're looking at Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 25. I'm not going to reread it. Maybe I'll read a few verses here and there. But I I think when you look at this passage, it is really a retelling of Genesis chapter 1. So I don't know. I I personally, as I read the scriptures, I don't see it really being a chronology between 1 and 2. I see it being a second camera angle that picks up different aspects of the creation story. The first one focuses on God. The second one focuses on people. And in this version of the creation story, Genesis chapter 2, God creates people. He gives them life, and then he gives them purpose. To be human is to be given life by God. There are some things that we can learn as we look at how Adam was created. It says God uh, took some dirt and he breathed life into it. Uh, he, well, he, he formed it into Adam and then he breathed life into Adam. Now, Adam is actually a play on the word uh, ground in Hebrew. So the, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. And the word for ground is dama. So D-A-M-A. Now, if you move that A from the, from the back, D-A-M-A, move it to the front, what do you get? You get A-D-A-M, you get Adam. So Adam is a play on ground, on dirt. And I think this actually tells us something. See, dirt, that's what we become when we die. There's something too, man, that I actually think we're intrinsically um, prone to death. We're not intrinsically immortal. See, God, he forms man, and then he tender, tenderly and intimately, he breathes life into him. Now, when I think of breathing life into something, I think of like CPR. I have done a CPR course. I, I don't want to use it, so please don't pass out. I don't think it's actually like that. I think it's more of a wedding kiss. Because at a wedding, two people, they come together, they say their vows, they're pronounced husband and wife, and they kiss, and you have a, you have a new creation. You have a new family. Something has happened that wasn't there before. Just moments earlier, these two individuals were singles, and now they've kissed, and they've been pronounced husband and wife, and there's something new there. I think that's a little bit like what is happening in Genesis chapter 2. See, God wants there to be intimacy in the relationship between God and humans. This is how it was supposed to be. There was supposed to be this face-to-face interaction And like I said, when we talk about Christianity, Christianity is less a religion and more of a relationship. There's this face-to-face, there's this this, this kind of exposing your soul, exposing your spirit to God and and talking to him. 
And to become a Christian is to realize that you cannot live without God, that you need this face-to-face relationship, that you need this, this holy God to come into your life and to sustain you and to give you life, just like God gave Adam at the very beginning. See, Adam, too, was entirely dependent on God for eternal life. I don't think he was created intrinsically immortal, See, I think this is why God planted a tree of life in the garden. You don't need a tree of life if you're immortal. Something about God uh, had, to, had to be there to sustain Adam, to give him eternal life. And that is still true today, that in order to have eternal life before God, we need God in our lives. Adam and Eve, even after the fall, even after next week, they continued to live because they were sustained by God. God gave them life day after day, just like he did before the fall. And what does God do when Adam and Eve sin? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, it says, God cut them off from the tree of life so that they would not live forever. Something about that tree symbolizes their access to eternal life with God. See, to be human is to be given life by God, and that includes the, uh, the capacity for eternal life. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, notice there that the animals are not given access to trees for food. It says that humans are given access to the trees and to the plants for food, but humans all right, but animals don't, don't seem to have that same access. They're just given plants. Perhaps they couldn't live forever, but death was not an evil thing for them, but a natural thing. To be human is to be given life by God. And that includes the capacity for eternal life. God also gives us our, our lives purpose. He sustains us. Notice in verses 15 through 17, God gives Adam a job. He's to work the garden. He's to keep the garden. This means that part of being human is having a job, that it's not wrong to work. This comes before the fall, that it's good to work. It's good to have a job that you enjoy. It's good to treat your your, your job like a garden, to not treat your, your job like a desert that you're just stumbling through, but to treat your job as a place where you can foster relationships, where you can till the soil, where you can do a good job. This took me a long time to learn in my own life. I worked at a, a curio shop, like a tourist shop, a tourist trap for 10 years when I was growing up, and I can't say that I truly understood that my job was meant to be a garden. I, I sometimes treated it like a mission field, And the same thing with my other job when I moved out to Virginia and worked for uh, the government. But we're to really till it, to to treat it as a place where we can foster relationships and honor God. Now, that is not man's ultimate purpose. Man's ultimate purpose is to have a relationship with God. And see, this begins with a choice. God plants two trees in the garden. He plants the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he plants the tree of life. There is a choice there. Adam's purpose is to choose the tree of life. See, to be truly human is to choose a relationship with God. We find our humanity when we find God. And sometimes we need encouragement. Sometimes we need help. See, just like God is a community, we can't do this alone. And this leads us kind of back around 
to talk more about uh, what it means to be human and relationships. See, to be human is to experience relationship with God and with others. This is part of what it means to be made in God's image. God wants us to experience relationship as he does. Now, in verse 20, uh, it talks about Adam. He is all alone. God makes Adam, and it, it's not good. He, uh, he needs a partner. He needs uh, a spouse. And so God makes a, a helper that is suitable for him. The Hebrew word helper is the Hebrew word ezer, and it doesn't, it's not a negative thing. It's more like indispensable companion. This word is used to describe God. God can be a helper. See, Adam needs an indispensable companion. Genesis 2.18, if you, you read it in uh, the net version of the Bible, it says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion for him who corresponds to him. This is really a powerful image because what takes place next? God puts Adam into a deep sleep and he takes a rib out of his side. Where, where, where's the rib located? It's in your side. That husband and wife were created equally in God's image. God created them in his image, male and female. And that together they're to be a team. They're to serve God. They're to complement each other. They're intentionally designed to match each other well. When you're really in sync with your spouse, when, when life seems to be going good and you guys are just, just melding together, that's like a taste of what it means to be made in God's image. That's a, that's a taste of what God has in himself, the triune God experiences. God wants us to experience relationship as he does. And I love that, uh, that the story, the second story of crea creation in Genesis chapter 2, that it ends with a wedding. This kind of parallels the first passage. It, it ends with, the first passage is creation of men and women. The second passage is uh, the marriage of men and women, the marriage of a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. There's something really special about the first time a bride and groom uh, see each other when, they're, when the bride is walking down the aisle. I remember when I saw Monica, when she was walking down the aisle, she wasn't really looking at me. She was like looking at the crowd. I was like, why aren't you looking at me? Look at me. I, I, don't, I don't care about them. Look at me. <laughs> she said that she needed to look at them because they came. She needed to like see them. If we were truly following the, the biblical pattern, we would make our grooms, when their bride walks down the aisle, we would make them sing a solo. Because <laughs> that's really what Adam is doing here. He says, this is now bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, and she was taken out of man. Wow, what love. What beauty in this passage. Somehow, husband and wife are presented as the pinnacle of God's creation, of, of who God is. Together, men and women fully reflect their creator, God. We find our humanity when we find God. Now, a quick word of encouragement if you're single. Maybe you've been single for a long time or a short while, all your life. This is why God gives us the church community, that you can still experience that relationship, that, that, that wonderful of knowing of, of other men and other women who, who know God as well, who know Jesus. This is why God gives us the church, so that, so that we can taste that, even if we never get married. We find our humanity when we find God. 
But I think you need to know that it's not just a, it's not just a finding of, of God experience. It's not a vague spirituality. Really, there's a person that we have to meet. There's a man. See, we can only have this relationship with God through one man. Adam and Eve, they were good humans. Sometimes, maybe you think if, if you were there at the beginning, you wouldn't have messed up and, and chosen uh, from the, the tree of the knowledge of good, <clears throat> of good and evil. Well, that's wrong, because Adam was the very best of humans. He was the best representative. But he does fall. And see, this is why we need a second Adam. This is why we need another man to come along and make it right. The Bible tells us that there was a man that came, and this human was the exact representation of God. He was the perfect image of God. And he not only had a loving relationship with God, he had a loving relationship with people. He had a loving relationship with children. He picked them up. He knew them. He had a loving relationship with women, a, a, a woman who was accused of committing adultery and was about to be stoned to death. He saved her. He had a loving relationship with people that didn't, uh, that didn't feel well, that were sick, with lepers. He healed them. He healed the poor. He healed the broken. He lived as a carpenter, but if you read this whole story of this man, there's a moment where he is confused for a gardener, just like Adam was a gardener. But in, in all actuality, although he was a carpenter, he was actually a king in disguise, he cared for people's physical needs so that he could help them with their spiritual needs because he knew that people were broken, that they lost their holiness. And Jesus gave it away. He was perfectly holy. See, Jesus is the second Adam. He lived the kind of life you and I need to live. He lived it in a way that honored God in every moment of every day, and then he died the death that you and I deserve, that we all deserve Jesus died that death. And now, he says, if you, if you invite me into your life, I will change the type of human you are into the type of human you are meant to be. See that through Christ, we can become the most human of humans. Because when Jesus comes into our life, we get his perfect record. He becomes our substitute. We suddenly become the truest of true humans. We become the most honorable of humans. That when we put our faith in Christ, he takes away our sin, and suddenly God looks at us and sees perfection. In Adam and Eve, humanity was good. But in the second Adam, in Jesus Christ, humanity is best. And one day, Christ will come, and he will make all things new. And just like Adam and Eve had a wedding in the end of chapter 2 in Genesis, that day is described as a wedding. That the church, that all who trust in Jesus are described as the bride of Christ. We find our humanity when we find God and when we find Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for all that Jesus is. Amen.